When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply is it wouldn't be this podcast if everything didn't fail like Apollo 13. But episode 391, Mr. Michael Swanson, author of The War State, which is quickly becoming one of my favorite books, and your new book, Why the Vietnam War, which painted it in a new picture that I hadn't ever thought of. And you you frame it perfectly in the beginning. You say we often, you know, it's a generalization, but we often look at it as it was just a thing, you know, it was like Grenada. It was just a thing happened. And you look at it as um, as it was actually part and parcel for the American empire. But before we jump into it, please introduce yourself real quickly. Yeah, well, as you mentioned, I'm Michael Swanson. I wrote that book. Uh, we did a previous show. People can go back and, and find that, The War State. Um, and that book is sort of like an introduction to the idea that the United States became a global empire mm -hmm. uh, after World War II. Um, and this is a written in, with the intention of like a case study of that and, uh, and a deep, uh, more um, nuts and bolts look. Uh, the, the other book's like an overview, and this is a closer look of how this kind of idea really plays out, how policies are made, um, and, and so forth. And you know, the Vietnam War, um, you're a few years younger than me. I'm, I'm in my 40s. And I, I've noticed you, you've interviewed people that were served in Vietnam mm -hmm. uh, in, in some previous interviews. I obviously didn't, didn't do that. Uh, but the, the point I make in bringing that up is that um, even though the war, uh, the high point of the war was in the middle of the 1960s, um, it's not like the Civil War. This thing has closer repercussions. You know, uh, there's a lot of people still alive <laughs> that fought in it, and and to have children that, uh, you know, too. So it's more in our in our memory. But our memory, though, as a society, is focused on those years of height American involvement, uh, sixty six to sixty eight. Uh, that's when most of the troops were over there. Um, and that's what most of the movies are about, mm -hmm. you know, and, and other books too. Mm -hmm. So I had to step back uh, to where, to when it all started. Yeah. Uh, it's a little different. And there, there are so many eerie parallels between that and, and the Middle East, the global war on terror. I mean, you can go back and as you show in your book, uh, by the way, I'll put the, everybody listening, I'll put the description and, uh, or put the link in the description and sticking the top comment. It's on Kindle, but if you, yeah, you can get, you can get your phone to read it to you. Well, there's one thing I want to say about that. Yeah. Uh, and then I'll just let you, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. let you go where you got your thoughts about this, which I'm interested to get your perspective. Uh, but as far as there's one big difference about Vietnam and the Middle East. Um, and I've got, maybe you do too, but I got a few friends that served in, in Iraq. Mm -hmm. um, and no people that went to Vietnam for that matter. But one big, huge difference, huge difference is that there are American soldiers that went to Vietnam and uh, came back home with wives, mm -hmm. or at the very least, uh, 
you know, would have R and R and go out and meet women or do whatever party, you know, go to Saigon uh, and, and so forth. Um, there is interaction between the American soldiers and and the people we were fighting on behalf in in South Vietnam, um, and there are many people. You know, Vietnam. You have Buddhists in Vietnam. There's some Christians there still today. Uh, there's different religious sects. Well, the Middle East is such a different culture than our culture that people don't come home with wives when they go over to the Middle East. They have very little interaction with the people of Iraq or Afghanistan. I mean, I know people that served over there and didn't speak to a single one of these people. Yeah, uh, The cultures are so much different and not so much in Asia. You know, today people in Vietnam, they welcome Americans uh, that come there to travel or as tourists or some do business and, and whatever, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, they don't hate us, you know, Yeah. And some people in the middle East, uh, do. Yeah, there, there is. Yeah. That's a, I'd, I'd never thought about that. There is an even greater divide, right? Cause you could say maybe like world war two Europe, right? It's, it's, it was very similar to us. I mean, if not, I, I, oh, yeah, I sure. different language, but identical really technologically as well. Um, and then Vietnam, but yeah, you look at it now and it's like, um, you know, I've had guys on this podcast and they talk about, you know, like going up to like a farmer in the middle of the mountains in Afghanistan and they're like, where's like Bin Laden? And the translator is like, who? And yeah. They're like, and they're like, where's Al Qaeda? And they're like, who? And they're like, where are the people that did 9-11? And they're like, who is 9-11? And they're like, the attacks <laughs> on America. And they're like, what is America? I mean, it it really is just like, yeah. Oh man, it's for all intents and purposes, it's like time travel. Like you're going to a different like epic of of humanity. Um, but yeah, there is yeah, there's the same right because you can see it in the build up though, right? It's like I you know, in 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 paraphrasing, it was pretty much like like listen, you're not going to send over a thousand guys. It was like either you send over a hundred and fifty thousand or don't send over any but you're not going to be able to tiptoe around this. And it was like, you know, don't get bogged down in a land war in Asia. And sure enough, that's what happens. And then we see the Soviets going into Afghanistan and then we do the same thing. It's like, don't get bogged down and we're getting bogged down. But if we can sort of almost kind of like a, almost kind of like video games or like Marvel, right? It's all the same universe in the, in the Swanson universe. We can, we can tie this back into the war state. Do you think that in different terms, Vietnam and the Middle East, are those wild successes? Not, I mean, not for us or anyone that really, you know, kind of values human life, not to sound just like a, you know, a screaming hippie. But could you say that those were actual wild successes in terms of the war state being able to test out weapon systems, get contracts? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a dark and evil way to look at it. Well, uh, Vietnam, uh, in that perspective, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, obviously, there's a lot of people that made money, you know, not, not at home, too. Uh, you know, the defense industry boom. There's, a, there's actually an economic boom that took place inside the United States uh, to a certain extent from around 65 to 68 because of the Vietnam War. A lot of them, you know, it's not just... Uh, 
sinister business people, mm-hmm. but the, the economy was did well that year. The, the inflation uh, uh, appeared uh, as a result. But for a lot of Americans, uh, you know, they they didn't serve in Vietnam. It was, you know, and they were experiencing this economic boom. So that that's something that sort of also happened uh, in the early as part of the Iraq War to an even greater extent. Even fewer Americans had a personal connection with people who fought there, uh, much less went over there than they did in Vietnam. But um, as far as testing the weapon systems, a lot of the tactics that came out of the Vietnam conflict in the in the later years actually were used uh, to a certain extent in Vietnam itself in Afghanistan. I mean, excuse me, in Iraq and in Afghanistan and some of these uh, third world so-called uh, theaters, for example, I was, this isn't in my book. This because my book is dealing with forty-five to sixty-one. But the CIA developed something called the Phoenix Program. Mm-hmm. I think around nineteen sixty-seven, and uh, the, the real way, the real important thing about it was they were collecting intelligence to try to identify who the VC were, and then they would try to go out and get people to assassinate these people. And that basic idea though, is sort of what uh, you saw replicated in Afghanistan and in in Iraq, Uh, General Petraeus, when they did that surge, that was really what he was, the part of the surge was we're gonna use our computers to get all this information and collect it and analyze it. And then the Americans are going to go out and kill people. But, you know, these uh, Iraqis that we were militia people were were for doing it. In Afghanistan, they'd use drones to do it. And the drone warfare also, there's some similarities to what happened in, in, uh, in Vietnam because the conflict in Vietnam, it spread uh, into Laos and Cambodia. And Laos had a huge CIA operation where they had a few Americans on the ground working with tribal people and trying to just basically call in uh, airstrikes. Um, And that's sort of how the beginning of Afghanistan started. You had CIA people on the ground, you know, working with tribal people running around in the first couple of weeks calling in airstrikes. Uh, so, So that war... And that war, the, the Laos conflict was really hidden from the American people when it was going on for most of the time. But it was an air, you know, most of it was mostly doing this bombing from the air and, and you know, with a, a small number of people. And that same sort of tactic is replicated. Uh, so, so there's a lot of things that came out of the Vietnam War that that, that uh, were used later, but as far as like this great triumph or something for for the military, I, I can you know tell you I don't. That's not what happened towards the end. The final in the 1970s, um, the Vietnam War and it was actually becoming um, uh, what, what's the word for it? Uh, uh, a problem uh, or, or, or a, um, it was hurting the military itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, uh, you know, we were drawing down the troops, the soldiers there, the morale is dropping. A lot of them, I'm speaking of 
like 70 to 73 or so. A lot of these soldiers were becoming addicted to heroin um, and the, the morale in the military perhaps was at the lowest point since World War II. Um, you know, no one wanted, what was the phrase? You don't want to be the last one to die in a war. I think uh, John Kerry said that. He came back home to, you know, testifying against the war. So there, there are soldiers coming back doing that. You know, they may have been in the minority, but that was going on. And then the effects of the war inside the United States, the, the protest movement, um, you know, it was very, it was dividing the entire country. Something I, you know, we're, you, both of us are younger. We weren't, you know, around in that time, but we, we me and you, we never saw anything like mm -hmm. that, you know, that where the award really was bringing out that much controversy and protest because what ended up happening was the military, they learned from all this and adapted the, the military, the people at the top in the, in the Pentagon, the, you know, the top of the armed services, um, the, the different branches, they learn, we don't want to have to have a war. We got to draft everybody and send everyone over there because then people get upset after a couple of years. You're going to get these protests again. We can't, so we're not going to draft, you know, we, we're just going to have a, a more professional army more you know relying more on technology and bombs and you know so forth and and, that, and so that's what the military has evolved into our day and they changed um the head of the there's a uh, he became the army chief of staff in the 80s but there was a general um now i'm <laughs> slipping my mind but anyway there's a guy up have you ever seen the movie stripes no Okay, it's a it, it's a great movie. I think it came out like 1980, but it's got Bill Murray in it. It's a comedy, um, and in the movie, Bill Murray loses his job. I, I know the meme. It's like, but yeah, I still yeah, got but, that going for me. Is it? Yeah, but in the movie, he's he's in New York City. It starts out he's a cab driver, and he gets pissed off this old lady, and he curses at her or something. And he loses his job, and he's like. I got to get a new job. He's like, well, I'm just going to join the army. You know, he sees a commercial on TV and he joins the army, but the commercial says, be all you can be. Um, so that pitch, that, that commercial was really big around 1980. I don't, I don't remember, can't remember how many years it, it went on for, but this is how the, the army was positioning itself to, to recruit. And, and this became, you know, army of one, I, th mm -hmm. I think, slogan turned into by the time of the um, 9-11 I'm, I'm not sure what they I don't pay enough attention to know what they're saying today but this is how they you know now pitch themselves you know it's, it's it's not like you know World War II you can see recruiting posters stop Hitler or something uh, but those, now those fantastically like racist like the, the yeah, yeah, stop, Japanese, the Japanese with the buck teeth and it's like they do the cartoons and they're like, oh, we coming for America. And they're like, stop the Japs. Yeah, yeah, stuff <laughs> like that. Now it's all about, you know, you're going to you're gonna become a more of an individual by joining the army. You know? You're going to become a doctor. You're going to go back home and go to Harvard. Yeah, yeah, you can get your degree or yeah. whatever. But, but, yeah. but anyway, I'm, I'm kind of getting off the yeah, top. No, who cares, man? Just trying to say this is this is the, the, the impact of the war in, in our time. You know, yeah, they tested out more weapons, but the military's position in our society has changed from, you know, being this kind of club elite 
thing where you got to be a volunteer to, to join it. There's not going to be a war where we're drafted. And, and therefore, for the civilians who don't join the military, honestly, they don't really care that much anymore yeah. if, about what's going on. They, and they're just content to watch uh, movies that cheer on the soldiers or, you know, uh, and don't really think that much about it, except on a superficial level. Uh, I'm I'm just kind of realizing it now as we're talking. That man, that almost seems to make the military stronger. Is there the fact that there isn't mandatory uh, enlistment? That on the surface it sounded like oh that makes it weaker. Like you have to rely on volunteers, but because you rely on volunteers. It's almost kind of genius from their standpoint. Their standpoint is you—you you maybe don't have these these protests against it because, you know, it's like you know I'm I'm 30, you know we went to Afghanistan when I was 11, we invaded Iraq when I was 13, it's still going on, but because there's never any risk of me having having to go, it never really comes into my life more than like a passing conversation you know i might have a friend that serves but i'm you're not going to have me out there marching on the pentagon saying end the war end the war because as much as it's you know bad people dying and you know I'm, and i'm not some i'm not some you know the war i get the, the the real world is a brutal place and it's it's not romantic and idyllic but it's never going to really come up to me more to outwardly put my energy and time and you know my social circles to bring awareness to it because it's kind of this abstract thing it's like us going to war is kind of like can you believe so and so didn't get the you know their grammy and i'm like you know it's whatever it's like i'm not i'm not i don't know what word i'm looking for i'm not invested and it almost kind of seems in almost a genius sense that if you want to go do unpopular wars, don't make a draft because then the people who, who don't agree with it, you're really not going to get much more out of, you know, again, I'm not going to go marching. There's not going to be this million march in D.C. I, you know, it might be like a Facebook status, like the war is bad. And then it's back to whatever. Right. It's back to a podcast. Yeah, it almost kind of seems like it, that that's a smart way to be able to... And then with drone warfare, it's, again, it doesn't make the news when a drone gets shot down, right? What's the, you know, What do we all say about Vietnam? 60,000 American lives, like, right? But that doesn't... There's been, what, like five, 7,000 in the Middle East? But that, that's been over 20 years. It's And it's not to, you know, it's not to take away the impact of any of them. But as far as war goes... I mean, that's a pretty palatable uh, number, right? For the public is, yeah, like as far as war goes, that's that's not that bad. And that's, and that's a, I mean, and that's a disgusting thing to say, but by removing the human element in terms of drafts, as well as the way of executing orders through drones, man, there's really not a lot of blowback. Like until it's knocking on my front door, it's, I'm not that invested. And I mean, maybe that's part of their plan, you know, a, a disengaged, uh, unaware citizenry. I don't know where I'm going with this now, but yeah. No, I, I think you're completely correct. I mean, I, I don't think, I don't know how much this is really playing out far ahead of time, but I think it, this sure. became the necessity as a result of, of, of Vietnam. And the thing about these 
sort of conflicts is if you are having a conflict that's overseas where you send troops overseas to fight in another country that hasn't attacked you, then it's very easy for such conflicts to become unpopular. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the first one that comes to my mind where this happened was, I mean, this is a long time ago, but there was a conflict. Uh, the, there's a, the, the, U, the United States went to war against Spain <laughs> uh, around 1890, 18, I think it was. 1898, and, and, yeah. Yeah, in 1898, and, and, and we had an occupation in the Philippines and there was a big anti-war movement. Mark Twain was in it. There's a lot of prominent Americans were part of this. And and it was just a very unpopular overseas venture. But you contrast that, as you mentioned, uh, World War II, Japan attacked the United States. You know, they were attacking uh, the Philippines and mm-hmm. a couple American islands besides Hawaii. Obviously, Hitler was out there. So that war was seen as a a defensive war we were defending ourselves world war one was actually there, there's people against world war one mm-hmm. um, um you know and and that was when that war that war was incredibly unpopular when it was over um and world war ii was the one that wasn't unpopular it was the opposite i suppose but i guess what i'm trying to say is the way you could draft, you know, there are countries that do draft everybody or make it mandatory. Israel, right? It's mandatory to be in the military, but Israel's not engaging in wars across the world in other countries. It's all, it's really defense. Yeah. Uh, Switzerland, I think you got to, everyone has to be in the military for a year or something in Switzerland too. Yeah. But these countries aren't doing, you know, these type of police. Thing. yeah 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 you're right it's if if the military if if the u.s is i guess uh purpose or day-to-day activities were similar to that of like the late 90s right where it was just like overwhelmingly powerful you know economies booming presidents getting a blowjob in the office but it's like you know you really are joining this overwhelming force versus like now it's like, well, you know, am I going to go die acting as like a laser targeter in like Qatar or Yemen? Like, am I going to go be, you know, do I have to go like be part of Blackwater in like North Africa or something? It's it's a lot different, right? I mean, Smedley Butler, you know, he was like, we should be defending our coasts and our borders. No, we should use the army for three things. Def- no, we should use the army for two things. Defend our borders and the Bill of Rights. All else is a racket. And, you know, if, if that was the case, yeah, you could probably pull off like a mandatory enlistment, right? But I don't think you can when it's this whole, uh, but then it's, you know, it's kind of like that meme, you know, it's uh, it shows the soldiers like sitting and it's like, remember, I think it's from World War II. It's like, remember what you're fighting for. And he's looking at a locket and then inside is his wife and kids but they show how it's been perverted over the years and it's like remember what you're fighting for and it's just the stock ticker for raytheon right Mm. and it's and i say all these things lightly i have as you know i have on a ton of uh vietnam veterans um delta force guys green berets i don't you know say this lightly but maybe it's kind of gallows humor makes it more digestible yeah it it seems it seems like 
the unpopular nature of it makes it so you can't and maybe that maybe that you know necessity is the mother invention maybe that's what brings the creation of drones is no one cares when one of those dies no one cares when something happens um but then to tie that back they wanted to use nuclear weapons in vietnam correct well um it was floated yeah there's um three times um and you know three times when it was let's say floated is that's probably the right word for it the first time was actually when the french were there and i got this in my book at tian ben phu they were under siege and uh this admiral radford who's chairman of the joint chiefs of staff he had a plan to he called it operation vulture to send all these 50 b-52 airplanes and you know try to defend the french that were under siege um and he also wanted to he floated the idea of using three atomic bombs uh as, as part of this and nixon's you know kind of supported the idea uh, uh in that nixon was the vice president yeah. under eisenhower yeah. um and it was rejected but it was it was it was rejected also by uh, people in the army um the army chief of staff uh, general ridgeway um who had been for a period of time the head of forces in during the korean war he took macarthur's place he he after, argued that after macarthur wanted to nuke korea <laughs> yeah yeah, after, yeah 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 well he made the argument that look if we drop three atomic bombs we won't win uh because um we'll just have to send people over there and we'd just be under siege again and you know we can't it just won't work is is uh what he said um and also it probably wasn't very feasible because he probably would have killed the french too mm -hmm. you know that are under siege so the whole thing well, wasn't feasible the second time it's it's not um um is um little it could have led it wasn't a direct recommendation uh, the same way but I, and this is in my book um when kennedy first comes into the white house uh, there's this bay of pigs disaster and then at the same which was in april 1961 and at the same time there's a crisis in laos that's over kind of overshadowed by what happens in the bay of pigs because it's happening almost the, the same time and Vietnam, Laos is right next to Vietnam, and there's, uh, it's a very primitive country. It's got one road in it, um, and there's a royal Laotian government that we're supporting, and then it's really a tribal type society. And one of these groups in that country is allied with uh, North Vietnam. They call themselves the Path at Low, and they're growing in strength. And their joint chiefs of staff are telling kennedy he needs to send americans a small force of men to laos to stop these path at low forces and they have a plan a contingency plan that says if this doesn't work and it would have worked because there's only one airstrip in this country it's landlocked and if they just send they'd only be able to send a small amount of men at a time and they just overrun, you know, because the North Vietnamese could come in, the Chinese could come in, and 
in the barrier, so we could be trapped easily. Well, the next step in the contingency plan was we would bomb North Vietnam, and then if all these people don't stop, we would then drop atomic bombs on China. Um, and what ends up happening, Kennedy doesn't want to do it. Uh, and, then, and then suddenly there's a ceasefire between the, the fighting forces that kind of diffuses this crisis. But so, so this is in my book as the second time when you could have led to uh, the use of atomic weapons. Um, the other time, actually, I should add four now, <laughs> that, uh, or I had uh, four total. But the other time is when LBJ comes in the White House in 1964 the same sort of similar contingency plans are presented to him except they swap out laos and insert vietnam uh and the idea is we send some some forces in vietnam we'll do bombing if the north vietnamese escalate we'll bomb them if if the escalation continues with china coming in we'll use atomic weapons china doesn't have a nuclear bomb so that's why they believe they have a free hand and they also believe that it wouldn't come to that that our overwhelming superiority would prevent china from intervening like they did in korea however there's no way to know that for sure in lbj and mcnamara who's the secretary of defense they don't want to do that because they don't want to have china come in they don't want it to escalate to a potential uh, nuclear usage of nuclear weapons. So throughout LBJ's presidency, they tried to keep it a limited war, which they succeed at, and they don't do the type of intervention that the Joint Chiefs of Staff advocate. And this is kind of what happens as in the next couple of years. And this leads to the fourth time uh, when, and I don't know as much about this. Uh, this has just come out in the past couple years, I need to dig into it. But during the Tet Offensive, there's a siege at Quezon, mm-hmm. which went on, I think, for a month, perhaps perhaps a little longer than that. But it was similar to the siege at Dien Bien Phu because the political ramifications were, here, here's a bunch of Americans, I think they're Marines, um, trapped uh, in a valley. The Vietnamese are sieging them. Could this become the next Yen Ben Phu? That's what people were worried about. And uh, General Westmoreland, who was the general in charge at that at that at that time, uh, supposedly he was asking Johnson for permission to use nuclear weapons to stop to stop the siege, and uh, it was rejected. But again, this is something I just read briefly about you know a couple of years ago. I need to dig more into it. So those are the four times that potential usage of nuclear weapons was, you know, presented during this conflict. And I think that's the only time since then. I don't think it's ever, you know, the presidents have threatened it. You know, Trump did, right, with the North Korea situation. But as far as a serious, you know, asking of using these weapons, I think those are the the only times there, there is a, a great quote from your book that I hadn't read before, and it was that general saying, um, you know, I'm going to, I want to take out like the five Soviet A-bomb nests 
And when I go to Christ, I'll be able to explain to him that I had to save civilization. There's something along those lines. But I mean, <laughs> it really is just so Dr. Strange lovey and like, you know, like, like it, it had to be that way kind of thing. And then obviously LeMay, who I love LeMay, but it always is kind of interesting to just hear his absolute really just disdain for the Kennedys and the whole whiz kid crew, right? It's Harvard educated and it's, but there was a quote from your book that I want to ask you about. Um, and it was about, um, LBJ and I had, it's again, it's, it's on Kindle, but I, you can get your phone to read it to you. Go, sure. go to general accessibility, spoken content, get it. It's a shitty robot voice, but you can get it to read it to you. But I was listening to it yesterday. I was in the shower, so I don't know if I heard it correctly. But it was LBJ talking about they're at like a lunch in Vietnam, and someone said like you should be president or something. And I, I don't know if I heard it correctly. And he went and he was like took him to like his room and was like show me Saigon or something. What 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 was it? It was it was like show me the sights of Saigon. Oh yeah, he um, he he went to Vietnam. Um, this is 1961 okay. on behalf of Kennedy after this layers thing we're talking yeah, yeah. about. And um, it's like a fact-finding type of thing. Mm-hmm. And he meets GM and he, and GM's not married, but he has got a brother who's married with this Madame New, who at the time was, you know, I don't know if you ever seen pictures of this lady, but, you know, she's very attractive. And, um, okay. uh, you know, she was on magazine covers back then. She was a very attractive woman, um, and LBJ didn't want to go to Vietnam. He tells Kennedy, I don't want to get killed, you know, or something, something to that effect. He's scared to go over there, and they pressure him to go going over there. He gets on the airplane. He gets drunk on the airplane. He berates reporters. um, And then when he gets to Vietnam, he's, like, angry and depressed. And then he has this dinner uh, on the rooftop in this – I think it's the I think it was the Carvel Hotel, but anyway, this this hotel in, in Saigon, and uh, and he sees Madame New and, and sitting next to her. That's who he's saying this stuff. That's the okay. style. She tells him you, you he he says something like, "I want you should come to Washington, you know, or the United States." And she's like, "I'll go there when you become president." And he grabs her hand and says, "Show me around the city. Show me the sights of Saigon." You know, he's like flirting with her uh, and, and stuff. So that that's 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 I think that that's what you're okay. That that's what I thought it was, but I wasn't yeah. sure. I was like, "This can't be the this can't be the case." I was like, "I think it had to have been." It's kind of like in 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 actually yeah it's it's you right because yeah in War State it was your book right where Kennedy is like you see him if I told him to jump out of the out of the plane he would right yeah yeah you're if I brought in you. Jackie's head and it was just kind of like whoa yeah, dude yeah. pump the brakes I thought it was something because it sounded like almost something out of like a Titanic or like a or a rom com in my mind if I thought LBJ when he said grab her hand I thought. I thought he like took her to his room and was like, show me the sights of Saigon, you know, just as like a sort of like a cheesy pickup line, you know, let's have sex. That's what I thought it was. And I was like, wait, what the fuck is this? I was like, I need to, I need to have like, just show me the sights of Saigon. But yeah. And then you did mention it because there's another part that I remember and I don't remember what book it was, but I remember it was like a year ago or two years ago, I was listening to this audio book and there was something about LBJ that like really stuck out in my mind. And it was, um, 
just kind of weird how they said he would like stop his like car he'd be like stop i want to get out and talk to like you know the civilians or something and he would go and yeah lbj was huge and then you know the vietnamese were tiny but he would go out and like shake people's hands and be like you know i want you to come to america and you can come watch the yankees or something and these people would be like who the fuck is this? excuse my friend you'd be like, who the fuck is this yeah. guy and then yeah you went into it where he would be he'd jump out of the car and go like kiss babies and stuff and these people were just like it wasn't like an american political campaign these were like rice farmers in vietnam and they're like, they don't even know who he is and he's like shaking their hands he's like you can come watch fireworks it might have been I forget what book it is, but he used to say shit. He'd be like, come to New York and watch the Yankees. And it would be these people who had never seen the TV before, who didn't know who he was, and didn't understand right. a word he's saying. And he's just jumping out and he's like, come watch the Yankees. And they're like, what? I don't know. It's just like a really comical image in my mind. But um, yeah, he is. He, 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 he does funny things. You know, I, I mean, it's he's a character. I mean, it's um, I mean, some people think he was a man depressing that he had these, probably. He, he had these. He probably he's, he's sweat. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and and um, but he did some very, you know, he had he had did some very strange things. Yeah, right. Because <laughs> it's right. I mean, he you right. He did want to build the great society, and as you mentioned in your book, when you know someone says they're like, I'd never met a man that spoke with such passion, even when the cameras were off, about helping the poor. And it's all right. You know, I'll give credit where credit's due. Right. He also had a. a a quote that if I said out loud would get me banned from YouTube about the Great Society that not a lot of people know about. And I won't even go into it, but just happy Googling everybody, LBJ. But he also, there's a great book called Air Force One, and it's just about the the presidents over the years. And it's not really about like, and I, and I know I got to let you go by three, um, but it, it's not even about necessarily the aircraft but it's about how presidents act on the aircraft, right? From the original was like FDR kind of flew on one. Truman had the sacred cow and then it went to Eisenhower, obviously, and then it blossomed into the Air Force One we know and love. But they talked about, or this author talks about, um, this has nothing to do with your book. I don't know why I'm telling you. How the White House really isn't like, it's not really like a home it's it's kind of the all the world's a stage like it's still very much choreographed and sure. when they go there you know a lot of presidents report that being at the white house is really no different than being at like a foreign uh you know being at the kremlin or something or beijing because it's it's all so very crafted everyone's watching you everything is judged they say it's in air force one is the few times the president ever gets to be themselves because they can take all the reporters and put them back in the reporter bay, right? Okay. And then it's this it's Air Force 1, you know, EMP shielded. It's the few times they can actually kind of let loose. Like apparently Clinton used to like take his like like shoes and socks off and put his feet up and play like poker all night and just talk to people about like, you know, geopolitical affairs. And um Kennedy would always Kennedy would take his like back pills and go to sleep. He'd get drunk, take his back pills, and go to sleep. And everyone, they hated it because his dog would run up and down the aisles, but no one wanted to tell the president's dog to shut up. LBJ, apparently, used to take, used to expose himself. Yeah, apparently, LBJ was well hung, and he would expose himself. And he'd say, here's Jumbo. And no one, know what, no one knew what to make of it. If his steak uh. was on... 
Yeah, if his steak was undercooked, he would throw it at like the stewardess. He's a psychopath. I don't know where I'm going with this, but LBJ was no, a character no, and a half. Yeah, I, I there's like I, 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 there's a story. I was gonna say it, then I, then I'm gonna, you know, then I'm like, I better. Not, I, I, I don't know if I should talk about it now. I, I guess I will. Okay. Uh, but so, well, there's two little stories. First one's not that it's it's not that big of a deal, but. Kennedy had a national security advisor with George Bundy, mm-hmm. and, L- and when LBJ was president, the guy stayed on, and LBJ would often have the guy come in his room, and he'd go to the bathroom with the door open in front of him. Yeah, you know things like that. Yeah. And he'd do it all the time, and the the guy didn't like it, and you know, and, and, and so it's sort of a power thing. Look, absolutely, you can do this with me, but I can do this in front of you. Absolutely, you can do about it. But the, the the story, I was like, oh, it's in the back of my head. You know, I can't help but think about it that I don't want to tell. But now I'll tell it. Is um, there, there's a there was a presidential yacht uh, called the Sequoia. It's I don't think they have it anymore. But um, if you ever seen the movie Nixon, uh, there's a scene on that boat. Um, but anyway, there's a and it, they just go up and just would go up and down the Potomac River and they'd have parties on it or, you know, eat dinner and so forth. But I don't know what year this happened, but one time LBJ decided I'm going to go take the Sequoia out by myself. And it was just him and the secret service. And what he did on the boat was he got a movie projector and watched pornography the whole time, you know, these circuit service guys on the boat. <laughs> uh, it's like, it's every, I, mean, I mean, so it's like the story you're telling. What is going on here? You know, it's crazy. It's, it's a total power move is what it is. Yeah, uh, it's very crazy. So That's, anyway. <laughs> that makes me think of Hunter S. Thompson. There's like a great, you know, in his like last years, he was just on this crazy drug regimen. Not like, yeah. not like medical, just entirely recreational. But he had yeah. this whole thing where he'd get up at 3 p.m., he'd do cocaine, and he'd go eat like a steak with ice cream. And then he'd start drinking like malt liquor, do more cocaine, smoke some weed. And then at midnight, he would drop acid and start writing. And he'd turn on, he had a big TV, and he'd turn on porn. And he would write all night with just porn blaring. It was something about like it lowered his inhibitions. It was like if there's just intercourse going on right next to him, it kind of it just I guess lowers the threshold for what's like normal. I don't know. I, I don't know. Maybe I guess it's not really a good thing to try to compare LBJ to Hunter S. Thompson. It doesn't really make a good argument against the whole well, anecdote. It's kind of you know one, one thing about it is most of the presidents, the vast majority of them, had girlfriend. You know, had uh, all of them. All of them. And, and, had girlfriends and mistresses or whatever. However, I, I don't think um, uh, Obama or Bush or, or Trump or probably not Biden have done any of that. You know, they seem, I think they were all not doing hardly anything. You know, yeah. I don't think Trump or, or or Bush even drank alcohol, you know, yeah. or in contrast with so many of the others, you know, doing something or another. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I think Reagan was probably too old. Maybe yeah, HW. Sure. We know Clinton. But yeah, I think it kind of yeah. stopped it there. I feel like it kind of yeah. stopped. Um, but yeah, it's uh, 
yeah it's just i don't, I don't know it's just the whole lb another thing he i know he did is he had his chair uh raised up like eight inches because mm-hmm. he had this sort of like meeting table in air force one and he had it raised up because he wanted because it's i think you I, 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 again it's your book he had an inferior inferiority complex like no one else yeah, that's what the, some. I think that's what the guy in the, I quoted yeah. in the book said. Yeah, he so he had his chair raised up so when he'd be talking to people, and he made it so everyone else's chair at this like sort of round table he had in Air Force One. Everyone else's chair was sort of stuck in place, under the guise of like it's on an airplane, it shouldn't be able to move around, but his could swivel. <laughs> so he's it's like a. Well, all this said though um, about you know I've listened to some of the. You know, we have tapes, presidential tapes of JFK, LBJ, Nixon, and you can listen to them. You can find all, lots of conversations with LBJ on YouTube. And one thing about they all have different kind of personalities and the way they talk to people, and you can tell that. But LBJ's, you know, um, he he's always thinking about the political angle and, and, and like every discussion you can find just about um except one uh, something for, you know how youtube is stuff they start showing you stuff once you get on a theme and they showed me some YouTube, some talk where he was talking to someone um john connolly they went john connolly went to his ranch and lbj's joking around how they were drunk driving and got in a wreck he was LBJ was drunk and driving the vehicle, and they got in a wreck, and it made the papers, and they're make, they're laughing about it. Uh, but other than that conversation, every conversation he's got, he's always thinking about the political angle of how this whatever the decision is, and pressuring people to do what he wants. Um, and he's highly intelligent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I mean, you, I mean, you, you can tell. You know, this guy, he's been. And uh, and Kennedy's different. Kennedy, in the meetings and stuff, he's more usually kind of just getting other people to talk and and hiding his real opinion and and, and kind of making compromises sort of happen. You know, that's basically what he's almost always doing. And you, the Nixon, you know, he's highly intelligent too, and thinking about the political angles and. Honestly, they may be smarter than JFK was, just judging by these conversations. But um, Nixon gets more emotional. You know, he'll get drunk. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find. Oh, that, find, yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah, he, he he's. But all these guys, uh, the the latter two, um, it's hard to remember all the exact details. But with Kennedy, like their day to day schedules. What I remember is Kennedy would take a break. They all got up real early in the morning. And Kennedy would like take a break around noon for several hours. Every day, if he was in Washington, he would swim. They had a swimming pool in the White House and it helped his back. Yeah. I think he would take a nap. So, so like during the afternoon, he, he would really take a break. And I think the other two pretty much worked nonstop um and throughout the night too and and that's and, and so they'd get to the white house they wouldn't watch a movie or something i think i think kennedy would turn everything off and watch a movie at you know in the evening and after dinner or whatever and have parties that like drinking parties mm-hmm. or something you know social type things whereas these other two guys 
they were on this all the time. I mean, on the phone all the time, nonstop. It's like they're addicted to working. Yeah. You know, I mean, they were like nonstop, nonstop, nonstop. LBJ, he would sleep in the bed and talk on the phone and read his memos. And Nixon would write memos to people all the time. I mean, these guys are just nonstop. I don't know what Biden does, but but you know, supposedly both Obama and Donald Trump. Their schedules are much smaller. You know, Obama would also stop in the evening and watch basketball games. And I don't know, you know, supposedly Trump wouldn't work and, you know, he, he would talk on the phone all the time, too, supposedly, and, but not have all these White House meetings at like 11 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, I had on a guy that worked in the White House communication communications agency. And uh, that's what he said about like Clinton. He was like, you know, Bill wouldn't, he was like, with Bush, he'd be like, workday started at like 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. But he was like, with Clinton, Clinton would roll in at like noon. But then he would stay till like 4 a.m. Yeah. You can see yeah. how they have these completely different, you know, Bush would be more regimented, whereas Clinton would be, it was very loose. But like, as you watched him more and more, you'd find out like, oh, like they're doing the same amount of work. They just have these, they have these different flavors, if you will, like on how to execute it was very odd. Yeah, and one other thing about LBJ is she. I don't, you know, I don't know any. I don't. I know this never happened to Kennedy, at, at least. But LBJ, he worked nonstop, and then he would collapse and go into depression. Oh, Jesus! Uh, so several times. So, so I, this is something I just saw. Somebody um, has just put out a podcast where his wife was doing an audio diary, you know, recording into a tape machine. Lady Bird. And LBJ's wife, and they're, they're releasing segments of that. And supposedly, he, in I think it was 64, he was deeply depressed and thinking of not running for president, and she talked him into it and calmed him down. And But he had multiple episodes like this over his life where he would just collapse and for, for a couple of weeks lay around in bed and tell people Jesus. you know think you know he's feels like he's dying or everything's hopeless and you know so uh, and when he leaves the white house it's sounds like that's what happened to him he, he just drinks all the time and the doctors tell him to stop drinking stop smoking and because he's got heart problems yeah he, he can't stop and you know that ends up dying yeah, he another thing, and I know it's it's past three, so I'll let you go. But another thing he did was, uh, he had apparently like instead of like a like a hunting stand, like he had like a really big hunting. It was like 50, <laughs> it was like I'm not even kidding. It was like fifty feet by ten feet. I mean, it was like a big. It was like a room, out in the middle of his like his ranch or whatever, and uh, so it was like I mean technically it was like a tree stand, but I mean really it was like a conference room out in the middle of the woods air conditioning heating like radio big banquet like table cook chef um and he'd seat people there and they'd eat but it was like oh there was like one way like windows so from the outside it just looked opaque like black so animals wouldn't see it and at, at the base of this thing around all the trees were all these like deer feeders so deer would come right up to this thing and then once they started eating there was motion activated floodlights would turn on and the deer would get you know like a deer in headlights yeah and he had it so like the windows could kind of like 
slot and almost kind of like you know those windows where that they don't open they kind of move like uh mm-hmm. horizontally he'd have him move horizontally and just shoot him like 10 <laughs> feet away and that's how he made sure his guests always like bagged kill so they wouldn't go home you know so it, it's, it's it's so fucked up but it's kind of funny you would go right it's just this mechanized like a deer comes and it's like like a like a warning it's like whoop and it like blasts all these lights and they stay still and bam i mean like like 10 12 feet away point blank and he'd be like you bagged yourself a 12 pointer or something you know just like <laughs> meanwhile he's there and he's got like his like radio telephone his secretaries and stuff and it's like you couldn't write this shit in a movie no <laughs> it's like yeah but um yeah, let's wrap this one up. You mentioned okay. at the very end of your book, though, you said that you were working on a new book. And I believe you well, said something I'm, about o- Obama. Maybe I misheard it. Can no, you- no. I, 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 I plan on doing a sequel to this one covering six, covering uh, 62 and 63. That's when Jan mm-hmm. gets killed and, and obviously Kennedy gets killed, too. So I want to cover those two years and focus on covert operations, which is a whole other topic but i've only written the introduction to it so it'll be a while okay all right well man i would uh i'd, I'd love to have you back on again even if we don't yeah, talk sure. about a specific topic you're a you're a fun guy to talk to well, the, i'd i'd love the war state it legitimately is one of my favorite books now it's terrifying it's um yeah it's terrifying but it's to mm-hmm. me it was like one of the most sobering i guess books to read and that it really I mean We've all heard, you know, Eisenhower's, you know, farewell speech a million times, but you kind of go in and really, I would love, to, I, that's what, not, not that, you know, you're a grown man, do whatever you want. I would love to see you kind of uh, extrapolate that book. I know you went into present day and talked about the future and kind of the spiral of bigger and bigger spending, but whereas the majority of the book took place early on, kind of 40s, 50s, 60s, I would love to see like a more modern kind of, like sequel to the war state i don't know if that's possible i don't know if that's something you're interested in obviously you got to be interested to write it but it's it seemed if if i recall correctly it seemed like the war state was very heavily based on 40s 50s 60s oh yeah oh yeah and then at the very end it jumps up to present day and it's kind of like a it's kind of like a blitz chapter at the end where it's like and this is where we are this is where we're going yeah well i I just i'd just say get um uh, Scott Horton, there's a book called I think it's called Enough, uh, enough of the Enough of this. I, let me see. I got it right here. <laughs> enough already. Here, get this. Get this one. Yeah, uh, I'm writing it down en- right now. Enough already. <laughs> enough already. Time to end the war on terrorism. Scott Horton, and he's got a podcast too. Oh yeah, the Scott Horton Show. Scott Horton, all right. Just wrote it down. Is that more of a modern take on the war? Yeah, state? yeah. This is from nine eleven till today. Okay. So this might be more what you. This is kind of on the lines of what you're talking about. Hell yeah. Yeah, man. I love your writing. I, yeah, I, I hope you definitely keep keep pumping them forward. You're gonna try to. Yeah. Next time. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Yeah. You, you don't want to rush it. And again. Not that I don't know. Whenever I have on authors, I really like. I always throw out ideas at the end, like like they fucking asked for my advice, which they don't. But you know, I'm like, by the way, if you're asking, and they're like, yeah. they're like, I'm not, and I'm like, oh well, here's my list anyway. Right. There is something I can't find any information on. And it's called IARPA. 
and it's the CIA's version of DARPA. It's called the Intelligence Advanced Research Project Agency, and it was helped DARPA helped to build it. It's called IARPA. There's a couple lectures on YouTube, but I can't find anything on it. And I think that would be a badass book. I think it might be like as new as Space Force, so there might not be a history. But they got a website. Yeah, they have a website. Yeah, and then you can go find some lectures. On I've never YouTube. heard of it. Yeah, it, it's very. Yeah, everyone's heard of DARPA, but IARPA. How old is it? I don't know. I want to say like last five years. Okay. It's all like transhumanism. Dude, it gets into some like spooky, almost kind of sci-fi stuff. Of course, the CIA makes their own DARPA. And of course, it's instantly like, you know, sci-fi and what the hell are they doing? But brain implants and stuff. Um, all these weird like neural networks and, you know, it's like it, so, uh, like psychology and sociology and kind of like social media manipulation. I mean, it's just the CIA's take on DARPA, but it's called IARPA. And the lectures online you can find, they're all very kind of esoteric. I have no idea what the hell they're talking about. But I don't know. The less I can find, the more I want to know. But um, I've kept you eight minutes longer than I said I would because I'm, yeah, I'm not, a terrible host. So That's okay. Um, um, anyway, yeah, yeah, we'll have to talk again. It's absolutely, good talking. absolutely, man. And everybody listening, I'll, I'll put uh, the, the link to your book in the description in the top comment. It's a great, again, a lot of unique information that I hadn't read before. So I can I can genuinely say that if you're interested in the Vietnam era, it's an interesting and harrowing take. And man, really, the, with my takeaway from it all is that LeMay and LBJ both hated the fact that they didn't have Harvard educations. Yeah, it keeps going down to that. But I will let you go, my man. Thank you so okay. much. Michael Thank Swanson, you. great author. Everybody grab his book. Take care, my man. Good talk with you. You as well. Goodbye.